So Genesis chapter 4, starting to read at verse 17 on page 6 of our church Bibles. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahajal. And Mahajal was the father of Mashahal, and Mashahal was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zelah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play string instruments and pipes. Zelah also had a son, Tubal-Cain who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Neymar. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech's seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us. As we look at his word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we pray that you may help us now. As we having read your word. As we seek to understand it. And help us not to be those who simply hear your word. But who understand it. And allow it to shape our thinking. Our words. And our actions. And we pray these things. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of our talk tonight, um, this afternoon is Our Only Hope. Our Only Hope. On Wednesday, the 6th of July 2005, amid great celebrations, London won the bid to host the 2012 Olympics. The very next day, terrorists attacked our public transport system, killing 52 people and injuring over 700. The date 7-7 has been etched in the minds of Londoners ever since. The day before, newspapers showed pictures of jubilant crowds celebrating. The following day, broken glass and shattered lives. Great triumph, followed by great tragedy. And so the question is, how do we make sense of this? And where are we to find hope in such a messed up world? I need to start by saying, you will never ever understand yourself, much less this mixed up world, until you grapple with what one writer has called the paradox of man. 
That is, until you understand two seemingly contradictory truths, which can be summarised like this. As human beings, you and I have a unique dignity as creatures made in the image of the living God. And yet, at the same time, we also have a unique depravity as rebels under the just judgment of that same living God. The early chapters of the book of Genesis are clear about the origins of these two seemingly contradictory truths. It explains why, on the one hand, we develop intensive care units to care for the critically ill, yet use the same technology to torture political enemies who happen to disagree with our point of view. It explains why we have the potential to be noble, rational and loving, but also shameful, irrational and selfish. The last time we were in Genesis, uh, we saw how Cain murdered his righteous brother because of the two of them, it was Abel who better represented or reflected the image of God. So Cain is banished from God's place and God's presence, no longer able to see the face of the Lord. And he is doomed to become a restless wanderer. And the question today's passage answers is this. What became of Cain in particular and the human race in general post these events, these dramatic events? Well, the answer is this. Ironically, through Cain, we see civilization's glorious rise. Through Cain, we see civilization's glorious rise. Despite being a very downcast and angry man, verse 5 of Genesis chapter 4, Cain went out from the Lord's presence with the mark of divine protection, verse 15. But it would seem he eventually learned to channel his anger and his bitterness. Did he perhaps think to himself, I'll show the maker, I'll show my parents, I'll show the lot of them. And the words of the famous poem, Invictus, comes to mind when I think of Cain. My head is bloody, but unbowed. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Did this become Cain's defiant mantra in life? Whatever the case, what we have in verses 17 to 22 is a very compressed account, a compressed account of the family line of Cain from that moment onwards. Several generations are packed into these verses. And perhaps, therefore, after decades of wandering the earth, Cain finally became determined to put roots down. 
And so like his father Adam before him in verse 1, Cain makes love to his wife in verse 17, and she becomes pregnant, giving birth to a son named Enoch. Not to be confused with the Enoch in chapter 5. And at this point, uh, some people want to know, well, where did Cain's wife come from? Well, there are a couple of possibilities, I think. First, according to chapter 5, verse 4, Adam lived a very, very long time, a very long life, and had other sons and daughters after Cain and Abel. So Cain could have married one of his sisters. The lack of corruption or the purity of the human genome could have meant this might not have been a problem back then. The second answer, the second possibility, is that the assumption that Adam and Eve were literally the first two human beings is just that, an assumption. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 and chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 does not say God created just two people, Adam and Eve. All it says is that God created human beings and made them male and female. For all we know, he could have created a small city worth of people who lived around the Garden of Eden. We simply aren't told. And then Genesis chapter 2 singles out two people. One called man and the other life. Or Eve. Adam and Eve. And treats them as our representatives in the Garden of Eden. In other words, the woman Cain married may not have, strictly speaking, been his sister. And the truth is, there's no point being dogmatic about it, because the text isn't. I take it, this is because this question, who did Cain marry, may keep you up at night, but... It is at best tangential to the main concern of the writer of the book of Genesis. More important to our author is the fact that despite being a murderer and a man banished from God's place and God's presence, the Lord's purposes for Cain were not extinguished. Amazingly, his line is allowed to continue and to flourish even. In other words, as opposed to saving grace, this is what Bible scholars call common grace. God shows the line of Cain common grace. She Cain was looking for a future, and by God's grace, he was given one. And he saw it in his son. So he names, or perhaps dedicates, the little settlement he attempted to establish after his son Enoch, verse 17. The name Enoch means dedicates. And again, by God's common grace and mercy, after several generations, things really start to look up for Cain and his descendants. For the family line of Cain. Cain's 
great-great-great-grandson, a man named Lamech, having married two women, father four children. Look at verse 20. Jabal, he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Dila, that is Lamech's other wife, also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Neymar. What an amazing family! Lamech and his wives must have relished getting those school reports or sending out their annual Christmas letter just so they could boast about their children's great achievements. What we are seeing here in Cain's extended family is the glorious rise of human civilization and culture. The unfolding development of the human race. Despite being under the Lord's curse for the great rebellion of chapter 3, human beings still retain something of their godlike character. That is a point not to be missed here. So in Jabal, we see the ability to develop farming or agriculture. Verse 20. His brother, Jubal, whose name is linked to joyful celebrations, Jubilee, or Jubilant, pioneers the arts. Verse 21. He introduces a culture of creativity in music. And their half-brother, Tubal-Cain, made and probably instructed others in making all sorts of tools. Verse 22. He is the father, if you like, of modern technology and industry. And this is all part of the glorious God-given ability that goes with being made in the image of the living God. And so with the idea of father of, in verse 18, notice, so-and-so became the father of, and then he became the father of. With the idea of father of, in verse 18, is the suggestion of steps forward, or progression. In other words, each generation building on the progress of the previous one, so that by the time we get to verse 22, there is this explosion of industry, artistic creativity, and Technology. And of course, you and I see that reflected in 2020, don't we? Human beings have not changed that much. For example, in my lifetime alone, we've gone from shopping on the high street to maybe going to Westfield or Lakeside to now Amazon next day delivery. We've gone from the LP. Remember those? I had to explain to my son a few days ago what an LP was. But we've gone from LPs to CDs to iPods to Spotify. And did you know, I left mine at home today, but did you know that the smartphone in your possession is literally millions of times more powerful than all of NASA's com combined computing power 
back in 1969, the year they put Neil Armstrong on the moon. Isn't that amazing? Your iPhone has more computing power than NASA did in 1969. That little device that you hold in your hand, that you take for granted. Genesis chapter 4 is not just telling us about something that happened back then. It is doing that, but it is also holding up a mirror and saying, recognize the world you live in. It reflects God's common grace. That is, even in Cain's family line, a family that shows no interest in God himself. Even in that ungodly line, we see people with the ability to do great things. This is why you and I should not be overly dismissive of the efforts of those who are not Christians, yet perhaps work in the STEM subjects. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Let me explain it this way. You or I may find ourselves critically ill, and yet the surgeon who may perform that life-saving operation on you or I might well be an atheist. Isn't that remarkable? That is common grace. Even those who deny God are perhaps angry with God or may even hate God find themselves ironically by his common grace still capable of uncovering great truths about our world or coming up with fantastic business ideas able to create music and art and even able to save the lives of other people because of some great ability or area of expertise given to them through God's common grace. Isn't that amazing? You and I should learn to appreciate and celebrate this reality as we see it reflected in human culture around us. Embrace the good while rejecting the bad. But there is much good. So the future looks bright for the human race. Until that is, dad comes home. His entrance on the stage in verses 23 and 24 alert us, secondly, to civilization's grim decline. That's the second thing we need to see from this chapter. We have civilization's glorious rise, but also civilization's grim decline. You see, when dad comes home, the picture darkens. Uh, The writer wants us to see that alongside civilization's glorious rise is its grim decline. Indeed, the two things go in like hand in glove. Such is the paradox, the seeming contradiction that is the human condition. In the midst of all this industry, creativity and technology, we find ironically a rather distasteful song or poem. A poem that is symptomatic of a rather pernicious or harmful decline, infection in the human condition. Look with me at verses 23 and 24. 
Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. One writer imagines Lamech naked or wearing a loincloth with knife in hand, strutting in front of his two wives while thumping his bare chest as he shouts the lyrics of his savage barbaric song. Perhaps Lamech was the first real grime artist. Now I know there's no mention of a knife here, but did Lamech's son, Tubal Cain, also make weapons, as well as tools of bronze and iron? Did violence reach a new level since Cain murdered his brother Abel? I fear the answer is probably yes, yes. These verses alert us to the fact that with the unfolding development of the human race comes its unfolding degeneration. There is both a rising and a falling. Why do I say that? Well, first, note that Lamech has two wives, not one. So seven generations on from Adam, the pattern laid down in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, has been abandoned. Remember, Eve is brought to Adam, who sings quite a different song. A love song back in Genesis 2 verse 23. There we are told, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they, the two, become one flesh. Now it is interesting that in verse 23 of chapter 4, look at it. Lamech's two wives are named in the context of him violently murdering a younger man. It is as if Moses is saying that these women, these two women's desire to rule over their man, in keeping with chapter 3 verse 16, remember, has not gone well. Their manipulative schemes have somehow backfired. And so being the brutal, ruthless, and remorseless man that he clearly was, Lamech has instead harshly ruled over them, subjecting them both to a humiliating life of polygamy and bigamy. You see that? And interesting enough, the name of Lamech's first wife, Ada, means ornament. Was she perhaps the first trophy wife? Was Lamech a man ruled by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes? Clearly, his sexual appetite was such that one wife was not enough. So the marriage relationship had deteriorated. And no doubt with it, attitudes towards sex and its practice. That's the first sign of the decline or the degeneration of human civilization. Second, in contrast to Adam's love poem in chapter 2 verse 23, 
Lamech's song here in chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, glories in violence. Lamech was clearly at least as much of a fighter as he was a lover. See, the Lord sought to avenge Abel's death, and rightly so. His murder could not go unpunished. But the Lord's judgment of Cain, remember, was tempered by mercy. Verse 15, not so with man. No, Lamech instead murders a man simply for injuring him. And having done that deed, he then composes a song. He goes home and sings it to his wives to boastfully impress upon them what a big and hard and strong man he is. That's what happens to anyone who messes with me. I'll put them in the ground. Rather than hanging his head in shame, Lamech wore his violence as some kind of badge of honour. Hence the song. These verses illustrate the violence of Cain's story, only the dial has been turned up a notch or two. I think that's the point. Which I think comes out clearly in verse 24. Look at verse 24. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. You see, in verse 15, the Lord promised to visit vengeance seven times over anyone who attempts to kill Cain for his crime. The number seven in the Bible symbolizes completeness or wholeness. So the Lord is simply saying, is promising to completely judge the person who takes the law into their own hands as far as Cain is concerned. But Lamech appears to have a very high opinion of himself. Because this this is not good enough for him. So he puts himself in the place of the Lord. He will instead avenge any wrong done to him personally by retaliating and doing so way in excess of anything suffered. 77 times. Instead of looking to the Lord for protection or justice in a ruthlessly self-sufficient and vindictive fashion, like some kind of callous mafia boss, Lamech simply takes matters into his own hands. And even worse, he delights in the ferocity of his revenge. Jesus probably had Genesis 4 and Lamech in mind when he told Peter that he needed to be willing to forgive someone who had wronged him 77 times. But the point is, just as marriage and sex were debased in the rise of Canaanite civilization, so too we can see here, human life is also debased and devalued. But as we hold the mirror of God's word up to our age and generation, don't we see as in the mirror reflected our age and generation? For example, all the evidence points to the fact that even though the 20th century saw massive progress in agricultural industries, 
gave us artists like Picasso, Pollock and Warhol, as well as great science and technology, Skype, FaceTime, iPods, iPads. It also saw the war to end all wars, which ironically was followed by another great war. Then there was Vietnam, Iraq, Rwanda, 9-11, Libya, Syria, Yemen. We've already mentioned 7-7. Apparently more people have died in wars in the 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. Hardly the best endorsement for a modern civilization. Not politically civil. On a more personal note, if we are honest, many of us have experienced rage, have we not? But of course it was the other driver's fault. What about those times where we felt undermined or insulted at work or by a friend? We are all tempted to retaliate in anger. And of course we live in a culture that is obsessed with sex. And increasingly more and more confused about gender roles and marriage. And the latter has and will continue to lead to an undermining of the biblical pattern laid down in Genesis 2 verse 24. And again if we're honest. None of us can point any fingers because we are all sexual deviants of one kind or another are we not? And as I listen to the radio and watch the news, it's clear to me that people have not come to grips with Genesis chapter 4. They don't understand or have not accepted the explanatory power of God's word in explaining why our world is full of so many contradictions. Even Christians, like some of us here, can be naive about this. We can be naive about one particular fact. What fact am I referring to? Well, it's this. Despite the reality of thousands, hundreds and thousands of years of progress in many areas, in all civilizations across this world, there has not been an inch of movement when it comes to human nature. Not one inch. People since Adam and Eve, as far as their nature is concerned, has not changed even one inch. An illustration of this is the racial abuse certain football uh, players, top five football players, have been experienced over the recent uh, months. Maybe you've heard about it. And I listened to one person who works in this whole area being interviewed on the news a few weeks ago. And the, the interviewer made the point that things have improved in recent years, had they not. But the interviewee simply made the point that racism has never really gone away. And to think that it has is simply to be misinformed. Yes, you can create conditions that make it less acceptable or more politically incorrect. But until you can find a way of changing the human heart you will never, ever, ever get rid of racism. Whether in white people or in black people. Now that may sound pessimistic. But if you know your Bible and you know yourself, you will know that to be true. 
So there is the paradox. In Cain, we see something of the glorious rise of civilization. In Lamech, we see something of its grim and ugly decline. The former gives us hope. But the latter teaches us, at the same time, to temper the limits of our expectations. For example, I knew, and I'm sure you did, that Barack Obama would not be the saviour of the world. This brings me to the last thing God is saying to us in his word this afternoon, which I believe is to point us to civilization's only hope. Civilization's only hope. Sadly, we see that with the progress of human civilization also comes progress in sin and its effects. I think the writer Moses, therefore, wants us to see that the only hope for us as a race is hinted at in the very last sentence of this chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis. Do you see it? Look at it. The end of verse 24. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. There and there alone lies our hope. But I suppose the question is, what time is the writer referring to? Well, having focused in on the line or descendants of Cain from verse 17, in verse 25 of chapter 4, the writer returns to the line of Adam. It's interesting that at the beginning of this chapter, in verse 1, and at the end in verse 25, Adam, we are told, made love to his wife and she became pregnant. Note the word wife in verse 1 and verse 25. And in the middle of a chapter, in verse 17, Cain does the same thing. He makes love to his wife. Please understand, the Bible is not anti-sex. It is very much pro-sex. But sex within the context of an exclusive, public, lifelong, covenant relationship involving one man and one woman. And in keeping with the pattern laid down in Genesis 2 verse 24. Marriage, sex and parenting belong together. No civilization will truly flourish if it ignores this. And here in the West we are beginning to reap the whirlwind of abandoning God's perfect pattern. And even the ungodly Canaanite descendants are blessed by following this pattern. But look at verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. The name Seth means substitute. But it also sounds like the word granted. So the sense of verse 25 is that Eve names her third son granted, saying to herself, God has granted me a son in place of Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain. Spare a thought for Eve for a moment. And those of you who are mothers will fully understand this. Eve had, in effect, lost two sons. Her first was murdered. And her second was banished from her presence. No wonder she mentioned all three of her boys in that one verse, verse 25. 
How sad she must have felt on some days when she wondered what was Cain doing. But now, as if to ease her pain a little, in his grace and mercy, the Lord granted her a substitute in Seth. And interestingly, instead of using the word child, Eve actually uses the word offspring in verse 25. And that should take us back to Genesis 3, verse 15, where Elohim Yahweh said he would grant, same word as used in chapter 4, verse 25, enmity between the snake's offspring and the woman's offspring. Eve was probably looking forward to the offspring that would one day crush the snake, undoing the damage she and Adam had caused in the Garden of Eden all those years before. So Seth must have been a particularly sweet and precious child to his sonless parents. In time, Seth had a son of his own whom he named Enosh. And interestingly, Enosh could be the name of a person or the name, the word Enosh in the language of the Old Testament can mean man. It's another word for man. There are two words in Hebrew, at least two words in Hebrew. Adam and Enosh. And often when that particular use of the word man is used in the Old Testament, it suggests weakness, mortality or frailty. So it's as if Sensing their spiritual and physical vulnerability. Seth and his son Enosh and their children and grandchildren began to call upon the Lord. Verse 26. One writer put it like this. Cain's firstborn and successor pioneered cities and civilized arts. But Seth's firstborn and successors pioneered worship. You get that? You see that? Cain and his descendants pioneered the building of cities and the arts. But Seth's successors pioneered the worship of the living God. Put it this way. All the progress in the STEM subjects of this world All the technology and progress we have made in this world means nothing if we don't learn to love, worship, and glorify the God of the Bible through all that we've done. While the descendants of Cain made progress in seeking to be masters of their own fate and captains of their own soul, a group of people from the line of Seth started proclaiming and worshipping the one who was their master and the captain of their souls. Of course, today, you and I can know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, you really need to. Because in him alone is the hope of this world.